Welcome to Making Fit Work. I'm your host, Nina McGough, certified personal trainer and nutrition coach and busy mom of two. I'm committed to helping you get real results by sharing best practices and life hacks to staying consistent. I also regularly interview other busy professionals who have mastered the ability to juggle it all while staying the course with their health and fitness. Let's get started. Hey, you guys, welcome to another episode of Making Fit Work. I am your host, Nina McGough, and I am here today with a special friend and guest, Andrea Clausen. Andrea, thank you so much for being here today with me. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Nina. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah. So let me tell everybody a little bit about you first. Andrea is an Ayurvedic practitioner and 500-hour yoga teacher who has been in the wellness space since 2007. Her mission is to help you start living a cyclical life by living in the alignment with the seasons and your menstrual cycle using Ayurveda as your guide. She's also the host of the Peaceful Power podcast, which I will link to in the notes, and you'll tell us a little bit more about later today. Perfect. Yay. This is so exciting. Okay. So like I have heard you talk about this since the beginning of last year, right? Since we met and I'm like, I have to like really look this up. What is Ayurveda, right? So that's why I wanted to have you here today because I think it's fascinating. Um, But also I think like many others, like myself, I get a little confused by the phrases and some of the language. So that's why I wanted to have you here today. So first, before we even dive into that, I always start by asking everybody, how did you start your health and fitness journey? Like how long back did it start for you? Give us a little like progression. Wow. Um, So my fitness journey started at 16. Um, one of my, so I played three sports in high school and in college and my softball coach, she was like the janitor at our school. And she said, Hey, Andrea, I think, and she was in charge of the girls only weight room. And she goes, Andrea, I think you would like to lift weights. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing. And since she was the janitor, she couldn't actually supervise us in the, in the weight room. So she kind of put me in charge. And so I was like, okay. Now, granted, it was me and one of my basketball teammates that I made come because nobody else wanted to come at like 6 a.m. to school and lift weights three days a week. So my friend was like, if I'm coming at 6 a.m., like you better have a plan for us. And so that's my first kind of dabble in personal training was, okay, well, I made us a little workout program. I went through like, you know, Shape Magazine and Oxygen and all of the magazines back in the day. I lived (laughs) by those. I did. I mean, that's I love- all we had because the internet was like right. dial up internet still. So it's slow and there wasn't websites like there is today. So mm-hmm. that's all we had to kind of go off. And that's where I would put together little workouts for us. And um, then I would go into the gym and play basketball because I was basketball was kind of my main sport. And so then that was my routine, you know, for the last two and a half years of high school. And then come college, oh, yeah. we, you know, I played sports, three sports there as well. And I remember going thinking, all of these girls, because I'm from a small town, from a town of 500 people. So I'm like, the, everyone there is going to know so much about, you know, weightlifting. Nobody knew anything. Nobody had ever touched a weight. And so I was like, wow, they are looking at me now to help them because our weightlifting, the instructor, um, our strength conditioning coach was very intimidating and nobody wanted to ask him questions because he would yell at you. And it was just not a great environment. So they would come to me and be like, how do I do this lift? And so then I started teaching, you know, my teammates how to do it properly. 
And then kind of naturally from there, I was like, well, I guess I'll go into personal training. So after I graduated from college, I went right into personal training and then have been a trainer. And I still have clients. I still personal train now, you know, for the last 15, 16 years now. Oh my God. That's amazing. And yeah, when you think about it, like I'm actually surprised you guys had a strength and conditioning coach at that stage because for women for so long, like that part was just ignored, right? It was just like the play sports, the practices, and then that's it. Oh yeah. I mean, the looking back now, I'm like the program that we did, it was all for football players or the men's hockey team. So we didn't have like, and I played tennis, basketball, and soccer. So they were not specific to our sports. So right. us tennis players were doing the hockey, men's hockey program workouts. Because that Not makes at sense. all applicable. And I'm like, why are we doing this stuff? Like, this is not right. applicable to tennis. And so it was just kind of interesting just to see, you know, looking back. And the coach, I think, was kind of lazy. He just wanted to one blanket right. program. Yeah. And instead of being like, here, let me actually help this this sports team out. So that's where I adopted. I actually ended up coaching yeah. um, at my alma mater, tennis. And so when that's I was there, awesome. I did a specific tennis workout program for our athletes because our head coach knew you know, he knew that they were just getting a blanket workout. And yeah. so I started to give him workouts specific for tennis. And in his defense, he probably just truly didn't know. Right? Or maybe. Uh, maybe. maybe. Like he was like <laughs> high, that high up in the athletic department. I think he knew. He just didn't want yeah. to put in that. He was just like, I don't. Work. Yeah. This isn't yes. my sport. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I was trying to like, well, yeah. maybe. I would love to say that. But knowing him and his personality, probably. Yeah. All right. So fast forward, when did Ayurveda become a part of your life? Yeah. So that kind of entered after I had my son. So my son is going to be seven. And I kind of at postpartum stage was feeling super lost, super like, oh my gosh, nothing is working from my traditional background. Um, I ended up with a little glute tear and I've specialized in pre-postpartum for all 15, 16 years I've been a trainer. Mm -hmm. So I have a really extensive background in that. And so I was coming back into working out and I did all the right, the right things, but somehow I still ended up with a little glute tear and that really set me back. And then, so I was just feeling really defeated because working out was kind of like my mental health piece. And so, um, I kind of turned to Ayurveda and I had just heard about it kind of the year before. And I went through my 200 hour yoga teacher training, actually pregnant with my son. And then we only learn, you learn about Ayurveda for like three hours in the program. You think it's going to be like, that's why I signed up for my yoga teacher training because I wanted to learn about Ayurveda, not knowing it's only like three hours of the 230 hour program. Oh, I see. So yeah. So if anyone else is out there thinking, yeah, let me do that. It's not, you're not going to learn a ton. Um, but I ended up finding a different teacher who specialized in Ayurveda and had a year long program. And it was happening right around the time I was feeling lost postpartum. So I signed up for her program and that transformed me like completely, you know, mind, body, soul. And I'm like, I need to add this into my clients programs. Mm -hmm. I need to add in, you know, just the, the holistic piece into the work I'm doing because I saw such a benefit from it. Yeah. So I love that because I feel like that happens to me too. When I learn from another coach or another practice, I'm like, I need to tell all my clients about this, right? Like, um, so perfect. I love that. Tell us what is Ayurveda? Like if someone is looking, cause I've looked it up online, but I'd love to hear like in your words, what is it? So it really translates to the wisdom of life. And so when you're okay. thinking about it, you're like, could mean anything. It could. And that's basically what Ayurveda, I mean, it can apply to anything. Um, And so 
I figure the the easiest way for your audience, I'll break it down in terms of doshas and then right. workout types because so I most feel of like the, most of the people listening, that. yeah, most of the people listening to this are you know health, fitness related. Um, obviously, mostly women. So yeah, break it down in that sense. Yeah. So when I look at Ayurveda, um, it can apply a lot of times people think nutrition, which it is, a, it's a big piece, okay. but in nutrition in Ayurveda, it's really about what you can digest. And so it's kind of learning about digestion is king. So that is the utmost, you know, of high importance for the nutrition piece. And then when you break it into doshas, which often is what people might've heard of the doshas. Um, so if we think about, there's three of them. We have all three of these doshas within our body, but in varying amounts. So we have a main dosha and then usually a secondary dosha. And so if I'm going to break it down with like your, your vata, pitta, and kapha. And so a vata dosha, if we talk about workout style, the vata dosha would be the one who likes to work out hop. They might do bar on Monday, Tuesday, they like to lift weights. Wednesday, they might try a CrossFit. Thursday, they're in yoga. They like to just keep things flowing and going. There's no set rhyme or reason. They're just kind of scattered in their approach to working out. I'm going to take notes on this stuff. You said that's the vata dosha, right? So if you're listening, I definitely recommend grabbing a pen and paper. Take notes, or you can always go back and re-listen to this episode, you know, until you get it. But all right, vata dosha, got it. Yes. And so that's very Avata approach to life in general. So if we think okay. about that, that's kind of what they're kind of can be scattered and they can be all over. They like variety. They don't like routines. And so for me as a trainer, when I recognize that in a client, I'm like, okay, I need to get you on a routine because typically they also will be the ones where they are just so busy that they forget to work out. They had good intentions, ah. but they were like, oops, I forgot. And then like, you know, obviously I know you know this as well, Nina, but I'm like, I don't want you to do the same workout because then I'll have people who will be like, I'll just do the same workout Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm like, well, that's right. not good for the body. Right. And so, you know, just that little education piece that sometimes has to come into play and that structure can help the Vata then um, have that container so they're not flowing all over the place because okay. they're associated with an air and ether element. And so they're kind of like the wind dosha. So they can kind of just blow with the wind. Oh, okay. So then, That's a nice way of putting it, I like that. Yeah, yeah. And so, and if, it can, that can go into any area of your life. So not just the workouts, but I figured workouts going to be the easiest for people yeah. to kind of grasp. Yeah. So next is the pitta. Now, pitta is what I am primarily. Majority of my clients are pittas, and if people who are listening, you are the athlete. So again, me being a three sport athlete in high school and college, that is a very pitta thing. Um, you like structure, you will say, Hey, I'm going to work out today and you're going to do it. Like, there's no question. Like if I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I missed my eight o'clock time. Well, I know I'm going to do it at 10 o'clock or noon. I will make time. So that's a very pitta thing. So my pittas, I don't have to worry about too much about getting in their routines. It's more about easing up because pittas are also the ones like, Oh, I got to get, I got to press start on my Apple watch. Otherwise this workout's not going to count. Let me read, you know, I've had clients who are like, I got to restart my workout because I didn't press start on my watch. That is a very pitta. And so we sometimes need to ease up on that intensity. Mm-hmm. And so like the competitive class, like the Orange Theories or any of the times we have a local class called Alchemy. <laughs> and I went to that a few times. It's like all college kids. And I'm in my late 30s. And I'm like, I am going to beat this 20 year old, you know, finishing these <laughs> workouts. It's just a very pitta thing. And so yeah. those are the classes that pittas are drawn to. Okay. But on the flip side, they can be, we can burn ourselves out. We can get inflamed. We can injure ourselves because we're going 
too hard. So that's kind of the flip side of that pitta dosha is that too much intensity. Right. I don't know and if not you recognize be, not, that in any of the oh, people yeah. you work with. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like not wanting to take a rest day is that kind of same. Yes. Yeah. Very right. pitta. Very pitta. Right. Okay. Yes. I and love like that. Walking doesn't count as a workout. All of those. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then the last dosha, I will say this is my dosha that's the hardest to work with. I don't have a ton of people who, who fit this bill. It's the kapha dosha. So kapha dosha, they are the Netflix and chill. So they have a tough time getting motivated. Like they, they get stuck. They get stagnant. Now on the flip side, once they're going, they are strong. Like these are your people who they can go through a workout and they're like, the vata might get tired because the vata typically are, you know, again, that wind air element, they can get tired. They can kind of be like, I'm pooped. And again, the pittas will burn themselves out, but the kaphas have a motor that will just sustain them once they get going. Now, I also say um, I've had, this isn't true for everyone, but I was told this and I've tried it out on some of my kapha clients. So kaphas are um, like just kind of a sturdy dosha and headstands are a thing that supposedly kaphas can easily get into. So I've tried this out on some of my uh, one-on-one yoga clients and I kid you not, every single kapha client of mine pops into a headstand with like two tries. And I'm like, how, what? Like I can work on this for how many years? And a kapha just, they just pop up. Cause again, that's their, that's their ammo. They're, they're really good once they're going, but it's convincing mm-hmm. them to kind of get going. That's can be the hardest yeah. part. And my mom is a kapha. My mom was a discus thrower for Iowa state, but her motivation is like, Oh, will you give me this workout? And I'll give her a workout. And then literally six months later, she's like, can you give me that workout again? I lost it. And oh, then yeah. like, you know, it's just like, okay, mom, come on. And then once she's going though, like she's, she's good. She'll be good for, you know, months and months and months. And then if she, if she stops for any extensive time, then it's like, oh shoot, you know, when we're back to square one, we got to build up that habit again. So that's kind of that kapha dosha is they're good, they're good, they're good. And then they might hit that wall and then it will take them a few months before they can kind of get back into the gym before they build uh, back into that routine. Yeah. So keeping going is the main thing with kapha is try to like, how can we keep you going? What motivates you? Typically group environments are best for kapha because they like to be around other people. Those competitive classes are okay with them because they're not going to overly compete. And they like that camaraderie with people. They want to give people high fives. They're that yeah. cheerleader in there. I actually think I might be a kapha. <laughs> but I think I've sustained the lifestyle for so long that like I don't have those obviously dips of like being off and off for so long, but I could totally Netflix and chill and just like sit on the couch and skip a workout like easily. But once I get going, because I've built up, I think enough um, mental strength to be like, all right, Nina, just go downstairs and like start stretching or jump on the bike for 10 minutes. Then I get off the bike and I'm like, all right, let's do this. Now I'm ready. And I'm totally headstrong, but I could totally. And even when I was younger, thinking back, that was my, that was me. I was like on hard and strong for three months, totally committed. And then I'm like, meh, fall off. And if I ever feel myself getting like that again, like I'm like, oh, I'm feeling very like lackluster. I will kind of look up a local CrossFit class or something. And I'm like, let me jump into some group energy. Like I need to be, you know, let me hit up a friend for a buddy workout so we can go do it together. Cause I feel like I need to feed off of someone's energy a little bit. 
Yes. Yeah, that is, that's Thanks. all very kapha. And yeah. kapha is always the, the mama earth energy, I always say. They're like the dosha that's super grounded. They're giving – you want to give them a hug. Like I've literally given yoga teachers who are kaphas a hug after class. I'm like, I don't know why I need to hug you, but I need to give you a hug. Like that's kind of that kapha energy. It's just a yeah. softer energy. Whereas the pitta, again, is going to be that more intense and the vata energy are the people who, when you're talking to them and you're like on the phone and they're kind of like, shoot, where's my phone? I got to go. And your friend's like, I'm right. talking on your phone. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. That's kind of that vata, like in general. So you can kind of see, and we, again, we ebb and flow through all of the doshas, but we typically have one where like, that's our main one. Like for me, I don't go out too much in kapha. Like that's just not a dosha that I have a ton of. And so mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about staying in balance with my kapha. I have yeah. to keep my pitta and my vata in check. And so yeah. that's kind of when you're listening, you're like, oh, yeah, there's one that one of these might be one where you're like, oh, I don't have a ton of that. But yeah. the other one, I really have to keep this one in check because that's yeah, my, that's my thing that I'm going to go out in. I think I'm like kapha pitta by your explanation. But all right, that's super helpful. OK, tell us more. Yeah. So I can chat a little about uh, nutrition and Ayurveda and how that kind of um, plays a factor. And it's very different from the West. Yeah. Okay. So nutrition and Ayurveda, we really look at kind of the eating seasonally. And there's a way you can eat with your dosha. But again, it's about what you can digest. Because this is where I think people can kind of get it wrong with um, the food list. So if you kind of go on like a Pinterest, you might be like, okay, what, what do pittas eat? You're going to have a list of foods that are great for pittas. But what can happen is maybe you can't digest those foods. So you're on there and you're like, man, I've been eating this quinoa, but it's coming out, you know, in my stools every time. Like that's, Mm. that's not a food for you because you're not digesting it. You're not getting any of the nutrients from it. So even though it might be on this food list, it's not the best for you. So that's the one caveat. If you go into the thinking, I need to eat all of the right foods for my dosha. It's just not the best approach to to your food. Ideally, seasonally is a little bit better. So if we think about like the season, so winter right now, if we look at what's going on outside, it's um, the heavier. So we're kind of in that late winter phase right now. So it's a heavier snow. So I live in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So we, we had a lot yeah. of snow oh, God. this last yeah. couple of weeks. And so that snow is heavy. It's dense. Um, it's an earthier quality. So then if we think about, okay, what dosha is most like that? It's that kapha dosha again. So that okay. late winter season is associated with the kapha dosha. So we're all kind of, we don't want to have extra heavy foods that are going to make us feel super grounded because we're already pretty grounded. We already have kind of that inward pull at this time of the year. And so we might have a little bit lighter um, vegetables rather than like your heavy root vegetables. If you're a kapha dosha, you have to be careful with how much heavy vegetable root vegetables you're having in your heavier soups because that might that can get you again if you're thinking about your workouts that can pull you into the netflix and chill because it's just too grounding so whereas the vata dosha if they're up here and they're they need that grounding those heavier root vegetables are going to help pull them down and ground them and find their balance and so that's kind of when you're looking at those three doshas and you're looking at the seasonal foods you're like oh that makes sense we're trying to find that balance Got it. So it's not just about picking fruits and veggies that are in season, but also with your dosha. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of in in Ayurveda, we say like increases like and opposites heal. So if we think about, okay, what's going on outside, um, what happens a lot, especially if you have kiddos, 
(laughs) congestion, coughs, mucus, phlegm, all starts to happen around this time as we go into the spring, because spring is also still that kapha dosha energy, because it's now mud, it's rain, it's wet, it's damp. Those are all kapha qualities. And so you're still Mm -hmm. trying to balance the kapha as you go into the spring season too. And then when you think about the body, like my son, but this year in particular, like so many colds, just congestion, mucus, all of it, picking it all up. And that is that kapha quality. And now not to confuse you anymore, but they are also, the doshas are associated with a stage of life. And so zero to 18 is the kapha stage of life. Because again, when you think about kids, mucus, all of that heavy energy typically happens Mm -hmm. then. Then when you go to like 18 to retirement age, that's the pitta stage of life because a lot of people, you know, if you're working, so you have to changing be on. If you have time. kiddos, yep. you know, if you're taking care of a house, whatever you're doing, those are all energies where you need to put that, you know, pitta energy into place. And then come like retirement age or around like 60, 65 is the vata, which when, what do we think? Uh, air, brittle, arthritis, broken bones, all of that can Got happen it. as we age. Right. And so we get lighter in nature again. And so those are kind of how you can look at it throughout your life as well. And you can kind of see how they're all tied together. And that kind of is the backbone of Ayurveda when we're looking at the seasonal elements, when we're looking at our life elements. And so it's not just here's my pitta food list or here's my kapha food list. It has to take mm-hmm. in all of this um, when we look at our foods. So what would be some recommendations? So when you're saying like, okay, during the heavy winter, maybe for um, particular kaffas, those root vegetables are, you know, not a good choice because it's going to pull you down, make you feel heavy, you know, bring all that energy down. What would be the opposite? What would be some other vegetables, fruits, and food choices that are not bringing that grounding energy? So instead of like a, you can still do some of those root vegetables, But instead of like a heavier, like let's say like a chili, so that's going to be a little Mm -hmm. bit heavier of a a soup quality. Yeah, You're going to have maybe just a light broth. You know, like I made a, it's a winter veggie soup the other day and it was just um, a chicken broth. And then I just cut up, you know, broccoli. I think I had sweet potatoes in there, cauliflower, carrots, and it was just in a lighter broth. And I didn't Mm -hmm. have any, I didn't have any, um, did I throw in, I might've thrown in some sort of beans and the beans you can also kind of look up and just This one I found, though, for most people, what you can digest, because I personally, red lentils, fine. Green lentils, for whatever reason, not fine. And so like you kind of have to play with what feels best for you, but a lighter like lentil or bean that you can digest, throw that in the soup. And that's going to be a lighter option for a kapha dosha if they're feeling out of balance. Um, Bone broths are also great because they're nice and light. And so, yeah, and they're easy for pretty much all three doshas. Um, bone broths are great and grounding. Um, if you don't do, you know, meats or you don't want to do that, I've had people who, you know, don't prefer that, you know, you can do a vegetable stock and you can kind of do your own with veggies instead. Um, and so it's not, Ayurveda does not, is not against meat. And so I was researching for a book that I was working on about the seasonal aspects. And so sometimes people think, oh, I have to be a vegan to practice Ayurveda. And you don't, um, like in the text, they have meat soup as something that you should enjoy in the late winter seasons. Okay. And so that's kind of where, um, you know, it is in the text. It's not recommended year round. And I know plenty of people who do practice Ayurveda who are vegans. That's not to say that it doesn't go hand in hand, but mm-hmm. that's kind of in case people are listening and they want to know that side of the thing. The text right. says yes, but it really is going to be up to you. Like, obviously, if you're a vegan, you're not going to enjoy meat soup. Um, right. And meat soup, to me, 
like nowadays, because again, Ayurveda originated in India over 5,000 years ago. So meat soup back then is probably a lot different than our meat soup that we have today. Right, right, right. All right. So eating around seasonal stuff, paying attention to the types of workouts and your energy around that. Let's get into talk about the menstrual cycle and what we do around that. Cause I think that's so important for women. I know with my clients too, especially women who do have big PMS cycles, I'm always like, let's change the way you eat and train around your cycle so that it's not, you know, stressing you out even more or pulling from your energy. And so tell me about what you do and how that kind of, how the two work together. Yeah. So this is one that I've, I started playing with a few years ago and it has made such a difference um, in terms of my own, especially again, if we think about those doshas, the pitta, what comes with it, inflammation, um, it can be intense cramps, um, sharp cramps. Vatas tend to have cramps that might, um, you know, Hey, it's in my low back. Now, a couple hours later, you feel it in your belly. Now all of a sudden you're, you know, you feel it in your traps. Like the vata is the wind again. So it kind of rotates and the kapha cramps look like a, just a dull ache. So that's kind of the people who are like, I just have this dull ache in my low back and it just is there. And so mm-hmm. those are kind of the, when I look at just really quick, because all of the, all of the doshas are right. associated, you know, with your, with your menstrual cycle as well. Typically your dosha. So like, again, my pitta, I will experience a pitta cycle. If for whatever reason, I'm starting to notice my cycle starts to translate into a vata and I'm having vata symptoms versus pitta. I probably have a vata imbalance going on and I need to make sure I'm doing practices that ground my vata. So that's kind of what I also look at when I'm, when I'm helping people with their cycles of looking at, okay, if all of a sudden something is wacky for you, because it's going to be different mm-hmm. for everyone. If it's off for you, we got to make sure that dosha gets grounded and settled and then we'll kind of work through it. Do you so mind giving in- me an example? Yeah. Like what does that mean? Yeah. So Let's say for me, like my, again, my pitta and I'm, I usually have breast tenderness. I usually have like intense, like just sharp pains right in my belly and, mm-hmm. you know, really intense cramps. Um, I might feel more inflamed. So those are all some right. pitta qualities. Then yeah. maybe I've had that for most of my life, but then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I'm starting to get some vata symptoms, which again can be that like, oh, I'm having, you know, my low back hurts. Well, now my pain is in my belly. Now my pain is over on this side. Now it's kind of, it's not as intense. It's just kind of wind. It's here. It's here. My period might start to get shorter. That's associated with the vata. So pittas tend to have pretty like 28 days is kind of their thing. Um, Vatas 25 or shorter is a vata cycle. If it's longer than 30, typically it's in that kapha range. And so if you're having those vata, you're like, ooh, like I'm usually 28 days like clockwork. And all of a sudden it's 25. This and I'm having these other symptoms. I'm now got to look at my vata dosha during the month. Got it. And so that's where I'm looking at diet and lifestyle routines for vata, which means more of that grounding elements. I need to make sure that comes into play. I don't have to worry about my pitta as much because clearly that's that's dosha is not you know being affected right now. It's the, it's the vata that needs to be treated during that time. During that month. Now okay. with that. That can change. Now, I like to look, I look to let cycles usually for a couple months because sometimes we just Got have it. a weird month. You know, oh, sometimes yeah. we're all just like, for whatever reason, you were really stressed. You know, maybe you had more alcohol, more sugar that month, and that can okay. affect your cycle. And yep. usually it will show up 
just that one month. But if all of a sudden you're coming to me and you're like, Andrew, man, I'm having 24 day cycles and I'm usually at 30 and it's been happening for six months. Now we're really looking a little bit deeper because we probably have a an imbalance going on and we want to fix that. And now I will say with the pandemic, I saw so many people with shorter cycles. Everyone's cycles just got really short. And what happened? I mean, we all had just the stress. And so with stress, oh, often yeah. the cycle will either get really short or get long. I mostly saw a lot of short. I have seen an influx though of cycles getting longer again. And so mm-hmm. then we have to look at, okay, what, why are the cycles getting longer? You know, what are, do we have a kapha imbalance or is there something else, you know, going on looking at, you know, did you add something in that you maybe hadn't the last couple of years? So like alcohol played a huge factor in stuff that I saw because people started drinking more during the pandemic right, right. and that was showing up in cycles. And so some of them are just kind of coming back into place right now and finding their new kind of normal or their balance with whatever days. So in Ayurveda, we kind of want it to be within a day or two, like 28 to 29 days, if that's your normal. If your normal for you, Nina, is like 29 to 30, then every month you want to be around those two days. And so that's where you'll kind of take note. It doesn't have to be the same. Because I think sometimes we think it has to be 28 days. And that's yeah. just what it is. But it's just not, that's not practical. And having seen right, right. many people, like very rare is someone just like clockwork 28 days. Right, right. So with the workouts, though, if we tie that piece in, how I kind of look at it. So during the bleeding phase, that's like day one of your cycle is the first full bleed. Rest is best. And so the first day or two, not doing anything. And that's hard And is that for again. all doshas? That's for all doshas. I love it. So yes, Ayurveda is very much like, Ayurveda recommends the entire time you bleed. Personally, and most pittas will probably be like, not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, like day four or five, it's, if it's gotten lighter, if your period's lighter and you know, you don't have any symptoms and ideally we shouldn't be having symptoms during our period, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Um, but day four or five, if you're like, yeah, I feel good. Then I usually go back to my regular workouts, but I, mm-hmm. I personally do rest typically days one through three. Um, and it's, I will do some light yoga stretching and just light walks around the neighborhood and mm-hmm. that's it. Um, and then comes that follicular phase and that's the time where we feel that surge of energy. So it's happening after we're done bleeding. We have the follicular phase. This is a great time to focus on, um, strength training, great time to focus on core stability. So it can also happen. This has been shown a time where, um, ACL tears are most common in women. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell I me know. about that. I know. So this is a study that came out a few years ago, which I wish I would have known, um, <laughs> when I worked at a soccer academy with young girls and I could kind of almost pinpoint who was going to have an ACL tear. Uh, I had this exercise I would do with them. And then pretty much when they got to high school, almost everyone I flagged all tore ACLs. And I had told their parents, I was like, you really need to get them in the weight room. Like there, we have an imbalance going on and I'm seeing that they're not landing properly and this is going to cause issues. Like there's just no way around it. And then now come to find out, you know, our menstrual cycle, you're like, shoot, you know, coaches, this is great information for coaches to know just right. to, you know, if you have those kids where you're like, oh, they've already had a tear or, you know, maybe their, their stance and their just stability isn't there where, you know, you're more mindful about their playing time. Um, even though we should feel great at this, at this stage, it doesn't mean we necessarily do if we didn't rest during our bleeding phase. Right. So what I also find if people went hard, the follicular phase, they're like, I'm drained, I'm pooped. 
why I should feel good. And it's because they didn't allow that rest to happen. So that is also kind of the caveat there where if you, if you're someone who's like, I'm not feeling good at that time, then you have to look back. Did I rest? Could I do a little bit better next month? And there's always next month, which is nice. Now, yeah, I do find yeah, that uh, for me personally, and I've never um, paid too, too much attention to the actual phases that I'm in, but just naturally kind of tuning into my body is I definitely need to rest those first two days. But then after, by the like third or fourth day, I feel so strong. Like that is literally when I feel my strongest. That is what literally when I'm like, and if I'm going to try to go heavier on any lifts today, it is going to be like this week. Um, but allowing myself to rest on those days leading up and on those first couple of days, like being okay with just more movement, maybe some light resistance band work if I have the energy to do it, but not beating myself up over like really training and then just knowing that I'm going to come back feeling really strong, you know, that third or fourth day. Yes. yes. And that's been huge for clients. I bet you, especially with this Pitta personality, right? That's hard for them to wrap their mind around. But I feel like with my clients, when we started talking, again, I'm not using this language because it's obviously uh, not the type of coaching I do and know enough of. But when I just talk to them about like, you know, it's okay to rest if you got your period and you're not feeling up to it. And I feel like that was like a weight lifted off their shoulder. Because I think so many of us feel like when we're on a regular training routine and when we're trying, we're so committed to being consistent that it's like we should be doing it and going hard no matter what. That we should be giving it our all no matter what. Cycle or no cycle, we're women, we should just deal with it. Versus being like, yeah, it's okay. Like I'm not going to train today. I'm just going to walk. Or you know, maybe I am going to do the workout, but I'm going to go super light on the weights and just do body weight or something like that. And it's, I've also had people, if you experience no period issues, like no cramps, nothing. I've had some people, you know, send me DMs and they're like, so I'm on day one, but I feel amazing. Should I go for, you know, an intense Ah. And I say, no. So if we look at Ayurveda, it's the Vata time of your cycle. The bleeding phase is actually associated with the Vata. So again, that Vata tends to have a surge of energy, which is great. And I said, no, you still want to rest those first two days because you need that grounding. Because again, when you overdo it, typically, and I've had people do it, I'm, and I, I never say I'm like, just never, no. I'm like, if you want to try it, try it, see how you and feel. Then yeah. And then usually they're like, should have rested. <laughs> because then they, they end up crashing in the follicular crashing. phase. It always ends up happening. And they're like, man, I thought it was going to be good because I felt amazing. But right. then again, our bodies, are, it's just how we're wired. We need that rest for at least a couple days. And when I tell yeah. people I do it, that also helps because they know a lot of my clients know I'm a pitta and they're like, well, do you rest? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, okay. You know, like you, yeah. you do like you're, you're the professional. So maybe I should listen to, yeah. you know, what you do. That's funny. Now that you say that, like sometimes I do work out on those first food days just cause I am like, oh, I'm feeling good. I don't really have any normal symptoms like I usually do. And now that I like think back, I'm like, yeah, I bet you I did probably spend the rest of the day on the couch after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just happens. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so good then, to know, though, that it's like yes. it's normal, right? Because I think sometimes we just end up beating ourselves up about that, especially during these phases. Like we have this mentality of like we should just deal with it and power through and continue on no matter what. And I always recommend 
having a little journal or just writing it down in a notebook. So that way you kind of know like, yeah. oh, I did work out day one. And then you can reflect back because sometimes we forget. We're like, oh, did I feel good then later in a couple of yeah. weeks? Can't remember. I think I did. And then, yeah. you know, you let me do it again. <laughs> yes. And so that's why I'm like, I'm always a big fan of just writing it down and just journaling for about three months is a good, you know, timeline to get on your cycle just to kind of get your regulars. Cause we'll have those days where, you know, you'll kind of start to have that surge in your follicular energy. Now coming to that ovulation phase, this is one where I found it's been, again, people will say, this is the time where we feel great. Ovulation is a very short window. You know, we have 24 hours basically, but usually when we're working out, we look at it like three days. So if you have endometriosis, mm. you might feel like crap at this time. So yeah. let me just tell you that because I've had many people who are like, thank you, because I was wondering what's wrong with me. Because if you look online, people are like, yes, this is the time to do the hit, the you know boot camps, this right, is like, right. go for it. But if I, what I found, everyone who has endo that I've worked with are like, I feel like crap. I, I feel just right. as bad as I do if I like I have pain while I'm bleeding. Mm-hmm. And so if that's you, you might need to rest. And so you might have that day when you're ovulating where you feel it and you're like, I just, I can't. So like, that is just my caveat there. Cause I think sometimes we, and again, if you're a Pitta, you don't give yourself permission where you're like, yeah, I have endo and I feel like crap and I don't, I I can't do those intense workouts. Um, but the other people, if you don't have endo and you, you, usually you feel really good. Now, sometimes again, if you're really in tune with your body, you might see which ovary is releasing an egg. So like I can usually tell like you might have a little bit of, um, it's not in horrible pain, but you might, you might feel it released. You'll kind of know its side. And so again, you might not feel amazing. So just being mindful of what it feels like in your body. And uh, mm-hmm. if you feel it one month, but maybe not the other, that's also a thing. If you're, so, uh, if you're trying to get pregnant, you might have one side that's ovulating and the other side might not. So these are all really good things to kind of tune into in the body of just like being aware of noticing, oh yeah, I do feel it really every month or every other month. Hmm. Like that's, that's something just to kind of take note of. So that's why, again, I like to track the cycle because our bodies give us so much information. Andrew, what do you say to someone who is going through the perimenopause phase? Do you work with clients, first of all, that are going through perimenopause and what do you how do you help guide them when their cycle is kind of like all over the place? Because I know for me, that's the phase I'm in right now. I know I'm only 42, but I'm going through it young. I mean, I've had that. I've had ovulation cramps before, happened for a couple of months, then never happened again. I've had the longer periods, the shorter periods. I go three months with a period, three months without a period. Does it become more difficult to practice Ayurveda when someone is in perimenopause? Like, talk to me about how you kind of guide people through that. Yeah. So um, perimenopause in Ayurveda. So technically, that's kind of like a new a new term. So mm-hmm. in Ayurveda, typically, they went menstrual cycle to menopause. Now, there are stuff that, you know, you can do with the perimenopause. Now, why they said this back in the day is because ideally you have no symptoms from menstrual cycle to menopause. You have no symptoms. Oh God. That that is the ideal. My mom had that. Like I I've seen it. Like I know it's possible. So that's where you're like, okay, so that means your doshas, if I'm looking at it from my Ayurvedic lens, were in balance basically your whole life. And you, you kept yourself in balance. You did a really good job. Perimenopause, you won't notice it. You won't notice that you've had perimenopause. Now that is not what I'm seeing from the majority. Just because again, our world has changed. We yep. have 
different foods now. We have technology, higher stress, all of that. And we are seeing people who are noticing some perimenopause symptoms. Now, typically perimenopause, if you ask your, if you know, if you can ask your mother um, or aunts or older sisters, when Mm -hmm. did you hit menopause and you subtract 10 years? And that's kind of the time frame you start to look at your own self of being in perimenopause. Yeah. But I say that it's not always true for you. So they're also in Ayurveda, people who have a kapha dosha or kapha prakriti tend to have an easier time transitioning to menopause. So my mm-hmm. mom, again, with the kapha, I was like, oh, shoot, that's my least amount of dosha. That was my mom's predominant. So that when she told me that, I was like, well, I'm going to have to be more on top of my stuff because I'm not guaranteed an easy transition mm-hmm. because my mom's dosha is different than mine. And so that's kind of something else if you're thinking like, oh, sweet, I get a free pass because of this. Not necessarily. Yeah. And so when we look at that, we're still looking at our doshas. We're still looking at, okay, what's what's imbalanced? So those irregular cycles, that can be a little bit of vata. Um, but it really depends on, this is where I have to see charts just to kind of get, because I'm going to look at temperature. I'm going to look at, I like to do basal body temperature every morning. So I'm going to look at what is your temperature doing throughout the month? You know, okay. are we ovulating? Are you hitting that? Um, you'll you'll notice your temperature will spike. It will drop if oh, um, it's consistent. Now, again, if I'm seeing, te- you know, charts that are a little wonky, that can be a sign of endometriosis as well, which, you know, depending on where you're at in your cycle, it could be endometri- endometriosis. It could be perimenopause. Um, how old are we? We're looking at factors of have you had kids? Have you had severe health issues? Um, Mm. How has your health been the last year? So we kind of, I really go in depth. It's like a 20 page questionnaire that I, that I see to kind of really chart out perimenopause because it can be, it can be so tricky and it can be finicky. Um, So I can't give you a definite, like, this is what it looks like for this dosha because perimenopause is um, kind of its own different animal in that regard. But at the end of the day, if those practices with the vata, pitta, kapha, if we think about those elements, if you notice that you're off on one of those elements, you're still treating it very similar as you would during your menstrual cycle phase in perimenopause. And you can find that balance again. So just because it starts to go, you know, as you were saying, like three months on, three months off of bleeding, you can get back to a normal and regulation using Ayurveda. Now, Western medicine is not going to say that. Um, but Ayurveda, I mean, that's what we do. Like that's, it's, we get more to the root yeah. cause and more, we're not going to necessarily give you a supplement to take because that's, that's going to be a band aid. versus, right. okay, let's dig in there. And sometimes you don't want to, cause I have a client who has perimenopause and she knows, she knows Ayurveda can help her. And mm-hmm. she's like, I can't, I'm at my wits end. You know, she had kids a little bit later in life. Yeah. And so she's in her forties and she's like, it's just something that's not, I, I don't have the bandwidth to do. I need the pill. I need to take this. Is this a band-aid? And I know this. Yes. And yeah. so like, that's kind of where if you're at that stage too, no shame in that. Like you really just kind of have to know where you're at and right. what you need at this stage of your life. So that is kind of my thing with the perimenopause is it's very, it's very much, um, if you go on my Instagram, I have lots of tips for the doshas. And I think I have a couple with perimenopause. But they're, they're, if you look at the slides, you're like, wow, these are actually really similar in what I should be doing if I have this imbalance. Yeah, it's funny. So it's 
I'm just going back to like personal examples because this is what I'm like making connections with is this past month in January, well, this month, this current month was the first time I had had a cycle again in a few months I had gone without because that's kind of what I'm doing right now. But it was the first time I literally had no symptoms Mm -hmm. whatsoever. And I was like, well, that's a first. And that was really nice. (laughs) Like, (laughs) That's a first. And that was really nice. Can that happen again every single month? Um, so just so interesting. What to I would you do for you the... with that, what I would do is yeah. I would write down, what did you do the last couple months? So leading up to it, usually it takes two months for like an egg to mature. And so when we look back, it's usually the last two to three months of okay. habits that contribute to what we're experiencing that month. So then you'll kind of look back and be like, what did I do? Did I, how was my stress? Did I, what was I eating? Um, and sometimes we can like so red raspberry leaf tea is one that I love to make. And I've had many people send me DMs or like just that one fix helped. And that personally helps me. Like I have no issues. If I'm having my red raspberry leaf tea and my oat straw infusion every morning, like right now I'm actually pregnant right now. So I'm not, not doing that. But when I come postpartum, I will be doing that again. And so with that, if I do that every morning, I, I usually don't have cramps. And so sometimes it can be something as little as that. That means my lifestyle is good. I just needed a little help with an herb. Um, that's not to say that that's necessarily going to help you. If it doesn't, right, right. we got to look at some other diet and lifestyle. But sometimes something like little like that, you're like, ooh, that's all I needed is just a little extra boost. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that. I feel like we're doing a little detective work on me personally now. But hey, um, the last couple of months, because I have been having some finicky things going on with my thyroid, mm. and I don't know if this is something that you deal with with a lot of your clients, but the last couple of months, I have switched medications. Mm. I actually, well, first of all, I went off medication, then switched medication to a um, non generic brand so that it's gluten free, dairy free, dye free because my doctor thinks those inactive ingredients was what was giving me some severe symptoms. Um, And I started habit tracking, like really writing down and checking the box on how many days I'm drinking 100 ounces of water, how many days I'm actually getting in 10,000 steps, how many days I'm actually hitting my protein intake, working out, and really tracking, even though these are all things that have always been a part of my lifestyle, I really wanted to see like, how many days am I missing the mark? Am I truly getting it in as much as I think I am? Because I think when you start to when you start to incorporate a healthy lifestyle, sometimes it can be very easy to be like, yeah, 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 I do all those things, right? And especially I've been in this industry for over 14 years. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I eat all the whole foods. I do all the things. And I was like, no, 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 Nina. I, like, you're going to start tracking. You're going to start checking the box. And I really was like, oh, I'm hitting the mark way more. Then I, I'm not hitting the mark, I should say, way more than I thought mm. and really started dialing that in and paying attention. Also, we were talking offline in the month of December. I took a little break from social media and really was focusing on a little bit more quality time with family and decreasing my overall stress. So interesting. That is. Did you, were you on screens less too? And did you sleep better? So that is something that since coming off um, and trying to work with this thyroid thing, I've really focused on getting better sleep um, because my sleep was all over the place. So I started doing, um, yep, I started doing no no phones or TV before bed. 
uh, sometimes meditating with my son. And then when I'm not meditating, I'm just going straight to bed, like lying in bed, whether I'm reading or journaling or just stretching before bed, kind of something like that. And I've been doing CBD oil and ashwagandha to help me sleep better. And, it's and sleep, been I mean, sleep is a huge factor with perimenopause. Yeah. So yeah. that, I mean, I think that definitely helps because that's usually where people might start to notice it first is in their sleep, their sleep might get right. disrupted. And so that right. I think is, is major. And that's ashwagandha right. is an Ayurvedic herb. There you go. See, yeah, that was actually the first thing that became disrupted for me last year around this time as I was like already having hot flashes at night and I was like, all right, I got to do something about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that that's of, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tapping back in just to finish the the menstrual yeah. cycle with the workout, just so I don't leave people hanging with the luteal phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. The luteal phase is usually the one that people hate the most. <laughs> and it's the and longest phase. Yes. And so that's right after ovulation. And so that's usually a two-week window. And then leading up to the next cycle, leading up to bleeding yep, until day one. And so that luteal phase, um, if we think about that luteal phase, I like to break it up into two segments. So this is especially helpful for like the pittas who like to work out hard for myself. Like I, we call it like a a crunchy day. You might have a day where you start to notice. Yeah. I hate the world. I'm, I'm getting into my head. I'm judging things. These are the days where I tell people, like I personally take a social media break when my crunchy day hits, which for me, it's usually day 25. And mm-hmm. I just, I'm off social media until I'm done bleeding like that every month. And so that's kind of how it's just programmed into there because what tends to happen around that time, again, we're like in our own heads about like, you know, since we both yes. run businesses, you're like, man, yeah. I'm just horrible. Everything's going wrong. Yes. And then you're just like, just spinning. So I'm like, right. okay, good time to delete and get off. And then um, from there, that day 25 or whatever your crunchy day is, that's when you start to slow down in your workouts again. So leading up to that, so sometimes again online, if you look at like what people recommend, now not everyone is a trainer. Some of them are period coaches. So that's mm-hmm. what I found is also tricky is they, they'll recommend not a ton of intense workout, which is not, mm-hmm. not realistic for most people who enjoy working out and you know, right. like, no, that's two weeks. Like that's a two week window where people still want to work out hard. And I always tell people, yeah, you'll, you'll, when you hit that day for you, whatever day that is, and it's usually a few days before you bleed, um, you can work out hard until then. Then, then once that day hits, you're kind of starting to slow things down. So you, again, you might be doing more, um, of your core stability band work, lighter weights, um, just more maintenance stuff than like trying to, you know, hit a PR for whatever. And same thing if you're a runner, you're starting to taper down your runs. It doesn't mean you have to stop. It just means you're slowing it down. You know, you might just do a nice steady pace. And right. so that's kind of how I look at those. Just wanted to caveat with that because that phase can be one that's tricky for a lot of people, especially with people who like to work out. And they're like, how can I, I don't want to stop. I don't want to do what it's suggesting. Going to yoga and Pilates for two weeks. That doesn't yeah. drive me. You know, right. what could I do instead? You know, you still can. That's what I found for most people is most of my clients are totally fine going for it until those days. And they usually know. And if you have low back pain during your menstrual cycle, that's when the low back pain comes in. I usually take out deadlifts. And what I have found across the board, my clients who have low back pain, it tends to be hormonal. And she told her doctor this. Doctors did not believe her. And every month we we were, when we're doing our programming, I've worked with her for years and I'm like, okay, we're just going to eliminate them. And she told her doctor, she's like, no, I'm pretty sure it is hormones. Like I, I have no issues. I can only not do deadlifts like the three days leading up to my, to my bleed. 
And it's just clockwork. And so sometimes, you know, some of those things are not necessarily your fault. It's not your form. It can be hormone related. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the the tuning in and just really paying attention and then tap working around it. It's not about avoiding it altogether. It's not like you're saying, no, you can never do deadlifts again. Or you can- Just those couple days. Right. You can never work out with big intensity. You're never going to hit a PR now that you're in a certain stage of life. It's like, let's be smart about when we go for the PRs. Let's be smart about when we go for those long runs or whatever it is. I love that. What are some of the overall benefits that you've heard, you know, with yourself, with your clients? What are some of the like aha moments that people have had once they've started to practice this? So I think for a lot of people, it's lasting energy because they're like, wow, I actually have lasting energy throughout the month. It's not having those dips or it's more predictable. So again, once you're in tune with that, you kind of on my calendar, you know, I kind of know around what day I'm ovulating every month and it tends to be the same. I have my crunchy days. I know I, I personally usually feel good to go back to my workouts around day three, for sure day four of my cycle. And so, and it's going to be different for everybody. And so once you kind of track that, whether um, Kate Northrup has a wonderful planner, um, it's really thick. I have it. And I'm not using it right now, just again, because I'm pregnant. So I don't want to, I don't want to waste my pages, but <laughs> that's, that's one of the ways that you can go in. And, it, and she has a great starter for just tuning into your cycle. How do I feel? And then all of that is just data. It's just information where you can go back. And if you're working with someone like, you know, if you're working with Nina, you can be like, Hey, can you just check this out and look at my you know, yeah. programming? And then Nina can program better for you because she has data about you. And every month she's seeing yeah. trends. And sometimes, again, we don't pick up on those trends unless we're writing them down. And so I think that's kind of where the major ahas come into play of people mm-hmm. like really getting to tune in. And they're like, I didn't even realize every day, you know, day 25, for example, that's when I my deadlift or my low back hurts. And some of these lifts that I'm doing aren't feeling good or going for those long runs, you know, the day before I bleed and having this intense pace is not feeling good. And so yeah. starting to kind of readjust your workout program and then your life, if you want to as well. Again, that's where that social media detox might come into play. Or maybe you know, if you're like, hey, I have this friend that we just tend to have some friction. Maybe we avoid them for a couple of days. Um, yeah. You know, all of that can come into play with your cycle and you can really tune into that and just, um, you know, also tuning into the food. And so if I think about food and if we think about the bleeding phase, that heavy grounding food, that's great versus a cold, like a cold ice cream. Um, while we're bleeding and we think about that, usually you're like, this doesn't sound good. Dairy and bleeding phases don't always tend to match up very well to each other. Uh That tends to increase cramping and, um, you know, just kind of tuning into that for you, noticing what foods might make it feel worse and which ones are making it feel a little bit better. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. I think the more we can tune into our own bodies and I mean, I know just listening to this, like, I'm surprised to hear that, like, yeah, I guess the symptom, PMS symptoms are not normal, like that we can eliminate them. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I have many people right who there. do. Yeah. Like that's where, and a lot of the times it's, it's normal, but it's not, I mean, it's common, but it's not normal. Yeah. It's easy to take the pill or ibuprofen, but you know, how can we instead look at eliminating them? And one of my other ways, um, a little tip for if you have excess estrogen, um, the follicular phase that's common when that will arise. And again, this can help with people in perimenopause as well. 
one of my favorite practices to do are castor oil packs. And everyone that every client that I've given that as an assignment to, they're like, love them. They're my new favorite thing. So castor oil packs are, you just literally drizzle some castor oil on a um, kind of a flannel sheet or a little cheesecloth and you put it on your belly and then you put a hot water pack on your, on your belly okay. and then you just lay there for an hour. And so this has been really, really helpful for, again, people with es- excess estrogen because it's helping just kind of pull things out. Now I will say also, if it's your first time- I'm going to stop you really quick. Yeah. How does somebody know if they have excess estrogen? Ooh, okay. I'll circle back there in a second. Yes. Um, so with, with, the, uh, with the, the pack there, so another way that you can do it is on the right side is where your liver is. And so yep. it's kind of helping remove and get out toxins. Okay. Now, if you, if you feel really, really tired or if you're like, man, I feel it. Like if you have a lot of stuff going on, like for me, I have varicose vein in my left leg in particular it really helps with my circulation. And so if you have varicose veins or spider veins in the legs, I found that also really helps just kind of get things flowing again. Um, and then if you have constipation, you can put it not just on the right side. So maybe you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm stuck on that left side. Put it on that left side to help with bowel movements because it also helps with constipation. And so that is a practice you can do. Um, I don't like to do it more than a couple of times a week, you know, maybe two or three times. If, it's, if you're brand new, start with one day a week. You just don't do it when you're bleeding. Um, and if you have heavy bleeds, avoid it the first couple of days leading up to your bleed. So if you're someone who has really intense, like you soak through a few pads, um, I would avoid it, you know, maybe day 25, then you're going to stop doing castor oil packs. But that would be a great option. Now for the excess estrogen. So there are some symptoms that come with excess estrogen. Um, it can be weight gain. It can be heavy breast. Um, it can be like just feeling of energy up down all over. The mm. best way though to do it is you can take um, a test. It's called the Dutch test. And they're usually dietitians or functional medicine doctors will do those. I did that before, actually before I got pregnant. And so just to kind of rule out, because I told my um, my dietitian that I had saw and she was on my podcast a couple of times. And so I knew she did this test. So I was curious just to see where my hormones were. Because I told her, I'm like, I have this gut feeling I have excess estrogen. And I'm like, I've done all of my practices. And I, I told her, I was like, I kind of want to get pregnant. I'm 38, you know, I'm like, I'm up against the clock. I, mm-hmm. I really want to, you know, get things balanced. And so I'm like, I've done my Ayurvedic detox, but can we just take this just to get fresh eyes and your eyes on it? And so you you pee on like basically a piece of paper um, at certain days during your cycle. You submit it into whoever, um, whoever you're doing it in. They read you the test. Now I will say to layman's eyes, myself included, I'm like, I don't understand what any of this means, but the, yeah. typically they'll walk you through what, what right. your results mean. And she gave me a few supplements. And so the one supplement in particular, I'm pretty sure that was what just boom, that that's all I needed. And then I, I was pregnant the next month. And so it was wow. just that little boost because again, I already had the diet and lifestyle practices. I was already doing everything Ayurveda said. That's where that just one extra thing came into play. And then that supplement, you know, just helped lower my estrogen to where it needed to be. And, you know, and things happened. So that's where I'm a big fan of that. Um, and even just doing it maybe once a year, just to kind of tune into your hormones. It can be, yeah. it can be expensive, but I think for me, I'm like, this is worth it just to know right. where you're at, you know, where, where are you at? What could you do? You don't have to take the supplements if you don't want. And again, a good person, the person I went to, her name is Krista King. Um, <clears throat> I'll, have to, I'll get you her website in case people want to go. Yeah. Cause I really trust Krista. 
Because I've had people in the show notes. Yeah, I've had people come to me who've had bad practitioners from the Dutch test. Um, So definitely do your research before you go to someone because some of them, the person gave her results that I'm like, this doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Like what she did, because Krista taught me a little bit of how to read them. So I trust Krista. Highly recommend if you just want to know or if you're not sure, especially if if you are trying to get pregnant, this is a great thing just to kind of know where are my hormones because doctors don't always pull the test or don't always want to do that. Um, Especially right now, a lot of them are are just overworked and overwhelmed. Um, So this would be a great option. I love that. All right, Andrea, tell us a little bit more for anyone wanting to learn more, want to continue learning more about Ayurveda, maybe learning more from you, diving into this all a little deeper, the Peaceful Power podcast, where can they find it? Where can they find you? Give us all the links. I'm going to drop it in the show notes too, but just for anyone who's only listening. Yeah. So my website is just my name, Um, And then as far as my podcast, Peaceful Power Podcast, I've had it for seven years now. And, Congratulations. Um, That's amazing. Know, like long. <laughs> and I do usually an interview one week and then a solo show kind of the next. And that's kind of my flow. And if you want to dive deeper with Ayurveda, with holistic practices, um, that's kind of the the shift that I've made, I guess, this last year. So it's all, um, you know, Ayurvedic practitioners. Um, we also have some holistic medicine doctors, some dietitians that come on and just share a little bit more from that lens. Um, and then my Instagram is Seasonal Andrea. Yes. And I will drop that, uh, your username down so anyone can just click it and start to follow Andrea and learn a little bit more about all these doshas and phases. And even if you're just instilling some of these practices a little bit into your lifestyle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So helpful. The the best place to start is to really just kind of tune in, like what, what feels good to you. You take what, like, like this felt really good. I'm loved the menstrual cycle talk and let me implement that. Start there. Don't do it all at once. It's too overwhelming. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. This was super helpful, even for me, Andrea, and just informational. So thank you so much for taking the time and being here. Um, I'm looking forward to keep connecting with you over this stuff. Hey, thank you, Nina. And as usual, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate and review and drop any topic suggestions for us in the DMs or in my Making Fit Work community on Facebook. Thanks again for your listening ears. Next time. See ya. Bye. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Making Fit Work. If you did, it would mean so much to me if you took a minute to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference and would be super helpful to me. Also, if you have any topic suggestions, if there's something in particular you'd love for me to address on this podcast, feel free to shoot me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can shoot me a DM on Facebook or Instagram and find me at fitwith underscore Nina. Again, you can find me at fitwith underscore Nina. Or you can join my private community on Facebook called Making Fit Work and drop your topic suggestions in there. Until next time, my friends, be strong, be healthy, be happy.